Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast, and this is episode 75. I'm Chris Howard, AIM coach, and thank you for joining me on this next, in this case, 90 minutes of going over everything ultra endurance, whether it's nutrition, hydration, whether it's mindset, whether it's training, whether it's the fundamentals and details of training for ultra endurance events, whether it's the mindset on how we can execute our workouts and our training better every day with regards to ultra endurance training. But it's also a 90-minute journey into a variety of questions and inputs that many of you sent me on the emails and um, social media platforms for, of late. And that's really been increasing lately, which has been really nice, but it gives me, because it gives me a great platform or opportunity to answer a lot of these things in depth and with it some um, some color and some training explanation so that you then can go out and execute your training better, right? This podcast was originally started 75 episodes ago in order to sort of expand the questions and the topics that I talk about with my athletes on a, I would say, quarterly basis at training camps or get-togethers that they sort of lean in and are more curious to find out more about. And from that, I felt it'd be a great way to explain and share and host and discuss more topics with a bigger audience. It's all about ultra-endurance training and mindset and growth and balance and what it takes to be an athlete, right? As many of you know, I was on the Rich Roll podcast again last week with regards to the Coach's Corner, and one of the main things I talk about on that podcast is balance and how I've really, really come to embrace over the last few years how important for us ultra-endurance athletes balance is. And if we're not balancing all this with regards to our training, with regards to our priorities, with regards to our regards to our ability to let go here and there, with regards to our nutrition and hydration and overall daily approach to all this, we're not going to be in this sport, in this lifestyle, in this health state for very long because it requires so much of us. But if we allow for ourselves to go through the ebbs and flows of life and fit our ultra-endurance endeavors and growth and potential in there, and use the windows of opportunity as they come up to grow as people with regards to ultra-endurance, that is a fun and rewarding outcome, whether for this podcast, whether for your training, whether for your future, whether in general with regards to helping build this community of ultra-endurance athletes that actually care in a different way versus just results driven and just wanting to grind out the next workout. That's not what I'm looking for, nor is that what I coach. I look to coach thoughtful and caring and balanced athlete that have a bigger desire and a long-term desire to balance the healthy endurance lifestyle with their families and their career and their community and just the sustainability of being able to do this for many years. Because if you can do this for many years, you will unlock a potential 
a hidden potential inside you that you never knew you had. Growing your endurance to ultra endurance and taking on adventures that are outside in nature, as I've talked about so often, and doing them to the best of your ability and fulfilling a curious aspect of your internal self that might be calling out to be outside and to be exploring its own personal best self, that's fun. And it's not addicting in that term or in that way, but instead it feeds itself. It wants to then explore more, learn more, grow more as an athlete, as a person. And a lot of this transfers over to the rest of our lives. It drips and bleeds into all aspects of our lives. When we're fulfilled and happy and fit and healthy and fueled well and put a um, achieving our best athletic self, it rolls into the rest of our day and life and community and workplace and family, our ability to just exhale and realize, man, I feel really good today. I'm happy about my body. I'm happy about listening to my body. I'm happy about my fitness. It makes us more patient with all those around us. There's so much craziness around us and there's so much wanting to take that calmness away from us because we have done something for ourselves. People get jealous of that and people will continuously try to infringe upon what you have, what we have, what we work hard to do and they'll want some of that. And the best way to to deal with that is to glow outwards with a calmness and a joy and um, an ease that you know you're healthy, you're fit, you're on the path towards achieving some really scary goals maybe, but that you also are in balance, in balance with your family and your loved ones and your partner and your career and where where you're just moving through your daily life. And I believe fitness and endurance and ultra endurance endeavors and goals outside and scary things is all part of that. And so I hope all that that I just described comes across in the podcast, in every podcast, because that's basically what I care the most about in helping others see and feel and glow like that because they feel good, they're healthy, they're happy, they're at ease, And not in every aspect of our lives, but I'm saying with regard to their fitness and their endurance and their opportunity every day to spend some time with themselves and listening to our bodies in motion at work, right? At work, meaning um, in a a training session Um, and having our heart rate elevated and, and moving through terrain and fresh air and doing things that is so huge to allowing you and your soul to be at peace and calm for all those things that are about to come to you, at you for the rest of your day. And that's what the weekly word is. And so that was another sort of intro with regards to episode 75. So what are we going to talk about this week? I talk about trying to meet the body where you currently are. We all have big um, dreams and goals and outcomes and desired adventures and and desired um, events 
but we need to also be patient and allow our body to catch up to that and get in sync with that and work effectively towards the growth it needs with regards to training and fundamentals and platform and layer upon layer, despite you wanting to be there quicker. It doesn't go quickly. And ultra endurance body and fitness and mindset and soul takes a while to mold. But once you have it, it is really powerful and really liberating and it feels amazing. I talk about how everybody's got a story. But with that, because everybody has a story, what I love about that is everybody has the ability to be the hero of their own story, of their own adventure, of their own, you know, next big scary goal or next big scary objective or desired outcome or event or adventure. Take a bunch of listener questions that they've emailed me about and then I go into some sort of sermon better description I call it sermon just because when I was a kid growing up my mom would always sort of yell in the background as my dad was sort of preaching he wasn't a preacher but preaching to my brothers and I and we'd all sort of have to sit there and listen to him and tell us about the ways of life and this is how you've got to be and boys and that and I grew up an all boys family um and my mom in the background would be just not yelling in a negative way, but yelling from another room. There he is again, preaching. He's on his sermon. Go ahead, boys. Enjoy this one. Sort of as a joke. It's sort of a family joke. So now when I hear myself talking on these podcasts in a very serious, you know, calm way, it reminds me of my dad and his sermon. So that's why I call it sermon. But I do a long one about mindset and why I feel so strongly about mindset and how we're all athletes because of our mindset. And we don't need to be elite. We don't need to be um, super talented with the right mindset. We're all athletes. And I give about six or seven daily actionable items so that you can be successful as an athlete because you have that mindset. And then I go into a few other little details, quick questions, and then I also finish it off with talking about muscle memory as that came up as one of the questions, but it's also interesting to me because I don't have any type of scientific evidence or answer to it, but I share my opinion from there. So I hope you guys enjoy episode 75. I was out the last two weeks, so I'm sorry. That's why it's been two weeks since I've published, posted an episode, and um, I was in Boulder for a week of training, and I did bring my microphone and some things for the podcast, but it just didn't come up um, as smoothly or as easily as I wanted it to, and I also had to leave Boulder a little bit quicker because um, we lost a dog in our family, and um, yeah, it was a difficult 24, 36 hours on a sick dog and making some decisions as a family on what to do next. So that was, that cut the Boulder training days shorter. Um, And then the week prior, um, I was on vacation um, with family, not able to um, record a podcast due to it's summer. And um, again, I try to be really present about recording these podcasts when things are flowing well. And as you can hear in this one, I also recorded a section with regards to driving. 
Uh, not with regards to driving while I was driving, because I like recording things as they come up, as I'm passionately describing them or talking about them. And on a side note, the mindset piece is actually something I wrote a lot down about because it's one of the many things I would like to add to, whether it's a book or a talk or a chapter here or a blog post there. Um, and so I like to keep that information and material and sometimes I write it down. And so the mindset piece was actually one I wrote down. So enjoy. Let me know what you think and have any questions. And yes, I know I received some feedback on some future guests, and I will work on that as well. Thank you. It's interesting because with ultra endurance training and any type of endurance training, we want to get ahead of who we actually are with regards to fitness, with regards to our body, with regards to our skeletal structure, and so forth. And I talk so often in on this podcast about um, progression and how we need to grow and how we build the foundation. But the interesting part is, just like I talk in other aspects on the podcast, we can't get ahead of who we are and our traits and how we display impatience in other aspects of life oh so often displays itself in also the endurance training world. And what do I mean by this? What I mean by this is there is no simple, linear approach to building endurance fitness. It's about calibrating our body. It's about the ability to absorb. It's about what's happening on the inside from a muscular structure, from cartilage, from lean muscle mass, from our oxygen use, from our lung capacity from our efficiencies in motion and economy, oxygen uptake, blood volume, all those things that aren't visible, but that are ever so gently, ever so slowly happening as we progress with what is called endurance fitness. And you don't see those things in the mirror. And you don't necessarily see those things in pace or wattages or times in the pool. Where you see it is over a very gradual, long-term perspective when you look at it from a perspective of months and years versus weeks and months. It's very similar to nutrition. A lot of us think that because we're eating healthier, we should see immediate benefits, immediate gains. But it doesn't work like that. What we're building and changing within our body is not visible. Oftentimes we can feel it but we want visible, tangible results. And endurance training doesn't work like that. And so often I deal with many, many athletes as well as inquiries, but just in general in the sport of athletes who want quicker results, who want quicker progression, who want more tangible, visible numbers that they can show that they've improved upon. And again, it's not a linear process. A lot is happening and the consistency and the patience and the diligence is what I've talked about is the natural filter in this wonderful world of endurance training. Most, the majority, can't deal with that. They can't deal with not seeing tangible step-by-step progression. They can't deal with not having a roadmap of success and steps 
of many successes lined up in front of them that they can check the box and complete. And so in your ability to be patient with triathlon and understanding you have to meet your body where you are currently, your body is just going to have to gradually build itself. And we've talked or I've alluded to a few times on the podcast that oftentimes our mind and our vision and our desires and our goals get way ahead of where our body is. And so our mind needs to meet our body for where it currently is. And from there, once the two are aligned, that's called expectations versus reality. We've talked about that before. Once those two are aligned, then we can continue with a progression. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't know what you're training or why you're training it, but it also does mean that understanding this is going to take time to rebuild my body. For 18, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I have not done this type of work. I have not done this type of stimulus training approach and so forth. And so it's going to take time. Everybody's got a story. Everybody. Everybody has their own story and everybody has their own goals and dreams. But to think one person's story is more unique than another person's story as they try to work themselves towards their dreams, towards their accomplishments, towards their desired outcomes, towards their things that make them scared, that really stretch their personality, stretch what they're confident in, stretch what they're in control of. Everybody has those. Everybody can create those. And so I get emails every week about unique stories. And some of them are heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching and others are inspirational. And others are just normal stories of people living their lives. But the consistent theme in all the stories is and all the dreams that people have along the way, I should say, is that everybody wants, is not wants, is curious about what they can be, who they can be with endurance and ultra endurance in their lives. It is a magical process once you understand that you have the fitness to take on just about anything. And then with some adjustments and some specificity, you can actually go into any discipline you want, whether that's swimming, biking, running, climbing, hiking, backpacking, whatever it is. But it starts with your ability to take your dreams, your goals, your desired outcomes, and combine them with your story. Because your story is unique to you. But only by combining it with your dreams and your desired outcomes are, do you, can you really combine the work that is needed to get to the other side of the fitness and the health and the mindset and quite honestly the beauty of being that strong and that capable and that confident and creating that new normal of fitness and understanding. I spent the last week in Boulder, Colorado with a variety of friends and new friends and new people that I met training. And I'm training, of course, for an Ironman in a couple of weeks in, in uh, Whistler, Canada. And while my fitness is nowhere near what it used to be with regards to when I was training consistently year in, year out for Ironman, 
it was still refreshing and nice to have the ability to do anything I wanted with anyone there. And sure, I know I have a huge platform. I have a huge foundation that allows me to jump off and do these type of things. But still, you're not truly sure that it's there until you're actually putting it on pavement or on dirt or in the pool or in a lake and so forth. And why do I bring that up? Well, I bring it up because I have a story and many of you have a story. And in order for that story of who we are and how we're constantly changing and how our identity is constantly growing and becoming something new is the story combined with our desired outcome creates a new story of who we are. And most of you listening to this and most in emails or however the format comes across are looking to create a new story. Not that their, bad, their old story was bad. I'm not saying that. But just growth and progression in life creates a new story. It's your story. It's your new story with regards to fitness, with regards to ultra endurance fitness, with regards to endurance knowledge and mindset and confidence and a different way of seeing the world every day outside, active, living life to your best and potential and growing from there. Because like I keep saying, there's a new normal waiting on the other side of this. And that's why I bring up story, story itself. Everybody's got a story. But it's your best story if you can be the hero of your own story, right? Our life is a story for anybody, for our children, for the next generation, for our parents to see how we're unfolding our story as they raised us, for our friends, for people who care about us, who look up to us. But in order to be the hero of your own story, it's about living life to your potential, to your best ability. And that's a tall order. And of course, putting your head on the pillow every night, knowing you gave your best, that's all you can ask for. But I challenge so many of you and so many of my athletes, did they truly give it their best? Did you fuel your best? Did you eat healthy today? Did you sleep? Did you keep your priorities straight? Did you share love and a positive energy with those who care about you and with all around you, not just those who care about you? Sorry, I shouldn't even say that. The hero of your own story means that what is important to you and the growth you're getting to someday with this endurance and ultra-endurance endeavor means also you're fulfilling the lives of the people around you every day because it's your story. It's what you believe in. And you're constantly rewriting a better story by being the best of your potential. Did I know what I was training today and have the best possible outcome? Did I know how I wanted to fuel today and hydrate today and take care of my body today to have the best possible outcome? Did I recover this evening and take a moment and exhale and sort of reflect on my day to have the best possible outcome and make me prepared? Make me, not just think of it, make me prepared for the next day so that when I wake up and I can continue the string of having the best possible outcome of the next day and the day after, my best potential self. And as that growth happens and as we get fitter, 
and we spread more positive energy because we're happy, we're excited, we're stoked. We are healthy and active and out there and understanding it and feeling vibrant and we're immersed in everything that we do. That becomes part of our best story. And therefore, we can become that hero of our own story. And so why do I bring this up? And that it's because I get those emails that I spoke of every day. And I want you all to know, and I let my athletes know, and I let my kids know, and everything. We all have a story. We should have a story. I hope we all have a story. But to be the best character and person and hero in our story, it's a daily process. And that's the beauty of ultra endurance training. It's a structure and it's a framework and it's something in your day every day to be your best self. And if you can just focus on those 45 minutes, those 75 minutes, those 90 minutes, those two, three hours every day, maybe even longer on the weekends, to be your best self, it'll make it easier to be your best self on every other moment of the day, to be the hero of your own story, to be the hero of your story for your kids, for your loved ones, for your parents, for those you don't even know look up to you, those around you that not are in awe because awe makes it seem as though we're some sort of, um, uh, for lack of a better description, godlike cre uh, a figure to them. No, for them to see, wow, it can be done. It can be done the right way. It can be done without that much sacrifice, without giving up our lives in so many other aspects. It can be done with balance. It can be done with keeping things in order with regards to fuel, with regards to our nutrition, with regards to our sleep, with regards to our community, with regards to our family, with regards to our career. And yes, there'll be days where the training falls off, but that's part of being your best self too, knowing, you know what, today I'm going to keep it easy or I'm going to shorten my training time because other things require my best self. And in order to be the hero of my own story, that means I am strong enough and confident enough and consistent enough with my training that I'm able to take this day and take it lighter in order to be better in the other aspects of my life. And that allows me a better, a clearer conscience, a better, clearer mind and heart and fresher body to do the next days better versus all days average. Be the hero of your own story. We all have a story. Live it. Be proud of it. Make it better. Write a new chapter of your story every day, every week, every month. And see that growth and see that new normal that you create with your own story. I love that. I love hearing about people who have grown into different human beings because they took ownership of their own story. And they want to not only be the hero of their own story, but they also want to show that that chapter after chapter is a better version of themselves than the previous chapter. And ultra endurance and endurance training and the structure and the thought process of it all allows us is one of the many ways, but it's a pretty good way to start that 
growth of chapter by chapter. It's healthy, it's outside, it's active. You're fueling inside and outside of your body. You're fueling it with good food and good sleep and recovery on the inside. And you're fueling it with good activity and fresh air and nature on the outside. Be the hero of your own story. Alrighty, so some podcast questions this week. Um, catching up again for two weeks of no podcasting. And this one is from a pure weight loss question for those of us now north of 40, I'm assuming 40 years old. Gosh, that would be nice to still be 40. That was eight years ago for me. Um, What have you seen to be the best combination of food and exercise training for weight loss? I was wondering if there was... There has been something more successful than others. Example, low carb with swimming versus high carb with running. Now, as many of you know from the podcast, I am not a fan of a variety of different diets with regards to um, trying to achieve weight loss. I believe that good nutrition, good daily nutrition and exercise and a conscious um approach with regards to whole foods, fruits and vegetables, and allowing the body to change its metabolism, um, improve its metabolism through endurance training or just consistent training. What that means is your body will get leaner, will get stronger, will change how it looks, its um, composition um, as you train. And while you might not look skinnier, your body is getting leaner. Your jeans, your pants, your clothes fits you differently when you get longer and leaner due to endurance training. So um, that's the first part. The second part with nutrition is that it's so individual. More than anything in our athletic world is nutrition so um, individual. I often talk about with regards to training and life schedules and who we are as athletes, as well as our history, that that's individual and how we become endurance athletes, all that's individual, but nothing is more individual than nutrition, how your gut reacts to nutrition, how your body reacts to nutrition, how your athletic performance reacts to nutrition. I would highly recommend working with a good nutritionist if this is something of a high priority for anybody. But again, focusing on weight loss is also from a mindset perspective a difficult goal to achieve because you're looking for an outcome that is very binary. Either you are losing weight or you are unsuccessful. And that's not really how athletics and healthy fitness works. You want something where despite your training, despite your smart eating, despite your attentive care of your body on the inside, fuel and nutrition and hydration, and on the outside, training, recovery, sleep, um, you might not lose a lot of weight. And so therefore, that is not failure, though. That is actually moving and progressing you towards bigger successes, towards a healthier body, towards a smarter body, 
and a body more able to take on and withstand the stresses of training, life, as well as weird nutrition windows where we're traveling and so forth. Remember, the healthier you are, the better you can deal with that. So I think that's a fair answer with regards to this question. I hope it helps. The next podcast question I received was regarding power on bike for Ironman. Good morning, Chris. I really enjoy listening to your podcast and cannot stress how much I've learned from them. My question concerns power on bike. I've ridden a lot in caps these past several months, but I've not yet done an FTP on bike. Have kicker, trainer, recently acquired, but no, know exactly how to use it. Can I look at several recent long rides, 50 plus miles, and glean any information from that? i.e. my normalized power hovers around 125. I average about 18 to 19 miles an hour depending on terrain. Until I get the kicker figured out, or even when I do, will the numbers match up? I'm training for Chattanooga Ironman and want to get in several long rides using the proper zone. All right, this is a great question. Um, and I think something we have discussed on the podcast. So first off, there is a field test for cycling. And the reason it's a good field test is because, again, you have the ability to um, mimic it and do it again and again at home to see your progression, to see your growth and your fitness in the sport of, let's say, this case, cycling. Um, Let me pull up that testing, field testing. There it is, my workout. And this can be done on a trainer or outside. So I would usually warm up about 10 to 15 minutes. And if on a trainer, I prescribe two times 10 minutes with two minutes rest, and that is best effort, like highest possible effort, watts, heart rate. And then we look for heart rate after suffering through those two times 10 minutes with about two minutes rest. If you need a third minute rest, fine. Um, But you're only doing two of them. And most likely what you'll find is as you go through the 10, um, you'll start adding watts. So um, I look for heart rate from the first, fifth, and final minute. And then also average watts for each 10-minute stretch. And so, again, two times 10 minutes at best effort. Most athletes don't challenge themselves enough right off the bat. And no, I'm not talking about something ridiculous. But within 60 to 90 seconds, you should be adding watts and really upping the resistance and really putting forth best effort. Um, Don't think about the eight minutes or seven minutes remaining. Think about the now. It's great mental training too, to really get inside yourself and think less about time and pain and clock and more about push, focus, strength, and ability. It's 10 minutes. You can do it. And from that average wattage, we basically get um, a threshold number, which I can help you with um, if you want to send that to me. And from that heart rate, we also get heart rate zones. And so that number is pretty close to what I would call zone four, the wattage, uh, mid-zone four wattage, or uh, threshold, a little bit above threshold, actually. Um, 
And then from that, we can work backwards with regards to um, percentage of that number in finding your aerobic threshold versus what this is, is usually a little bit above your anaerobic threshold. And then from that also apply some zones and some heart rates, but that will give you a good idea. And if you take that number, let's say the average watts on the first one and the second one, let's say for you, since your normalized power on long rides hovers around 125, let's say that's 175 or 180 for the two times 10 minutes. It might be higher or might be lower. Don't use that number as a guide. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, what I would do then is let's say it's 180. And I know that's about 90% of max. If I were to gauge it, so then if that's 90% of max, I look for about 70% of max to give you a good idea of what your steady long ride is. So about 20% below that 180, so 36 watts, so about 140 um, is what we should be focusing on for some steady state riding. Not tempo, but um, 140s wattage would be a good number to work around and work towards for your Ironman distance cycling. Um, <clears throat> and as you get fitter, and I wouldn't do this every week, I would do it maybe every six weeks, maybe eight weeks, you can adjust that number according to your fitness. Now, many of you might not have wattage, and so you can use those heart rates. That first, fifth, and tenth minute gives you a good gauge, especially fifth and tenth minute, of what your upper range of zone four heart rate is. And then I would spread those out pretty equally, about 10 to 12 watt, um, heart rate per range. Separate them with some heartbeats so that your zone three isn't falling into your zone four. You want a clear separation. A lot of athletes ask me why I put a five heart rate gap in their zones. Well, that was because I want the body to have a real clear understanding and um, separation and recognition intrinsically almost um, between what is zone three and zone four, between what is zone two and what is zone three. Um, there should be no gray area. And the, the clearer that is, the more effective the outcome is. Now, if you're going to do this outside, um, which is a great way, I've done this many times at training camps with athletes, um, even pricking an ear or a finger for a lactate test, but um, outside I would do a 20-minute uphill, highest possible watts again, highest possible effort, um, highest possible outcome, output. And again, I would take the first and 10th and final minute of uh, heart rate and average watts. And that too will give you a really good idea of a little bit over threshold zone four, upper side of zone four, and similarly. Now, if any of you want to do this test and want to just send me your numbers, I will gladly help you determine your zones from that um, it, it's a pretty simple process. And then once you do it once or twice with regards to seeing how I calculate them for you, you can probably do it on your own and therefore replicate the test and display and chart your fitness as you're moving forward. So, um, so back to the original question. So that's a test that you can use on your kicker and you have watts. So that should work well, but couple of things. Long rides 
are hard to uh, use information from because we stop fueling and hydration depending on how long, depending on the week leading up to it and what kind of training we were doing um, and fatigue, um, terrain, how hilly and how much coasting. Um, so it's hard to really get a good gauge of that. Now, you can display your fitness growth over time because oftentimes we probably only choose from six to eight different terrains and rides. And then over months and months, you can see that your average wattage and normalized power and so forth has grown on those same courses over time. Um, I would, as you all know, not focus on any type of miles per hour. I'm a big big, big um, avoider of thinking about average miles per hour on how you train. It is a completely irrelevant number, in my opinion. Um, too many athletes focus on average miles per hour, and they think, okay, if I can average 20 miles an hour for six hours, I'll be at 120 miles. So therefore I should be able to do an Ironman course if I hold 20 miles an hour in let's say 545 or whatever. Um, and then we force ourselves and hold on too tight to a number that that's not realistic to our fitness, to our abilities, to our cadence, to the terrain, to the temperature, to our fueling, to our hydrating, to our ability to run, to how much the swim took out of us. It's not a feasible number. I've seen people win an Ironman averaging 18 and 19 miles an hour. Yes, win overall. I've seen others win an Ironman with 32 miles an hour average. Um, there's so many different factors that come into miles per hour that it's a very, very um, unreliable and um, fitness limiting number to focus on. Instead, heart rate and wattages are a better tool to use in order to grow your fitness from. And what you'll notice is vice versa, that at a steady heart rate, gradually your average miles per hour for set courses, um, set loops and so forth that you repeat creeps up. And that's a better gauge because it's truly showing the cost on your body and how it, with the same effort and the same output is um, achieving you a faster net time. Again, though, that might be because of winds at this time of day or year. That might be because of temperatures at this time of day or year. So uh, it might be due to fueling. There's too many factors that add into all those numbers, actually, as well, heart rate and speed. Watt is a watt is a watt, which is always nice. Now, many of you might say, well, Chris, couldn't I just ride a steady heart rate, a uh, steady speed and watch my heart rate come down to show fitness? Yes, you could argue that, but you'd want to do that in a way more controlled environment. A track is good for that. Um, and even then, you sometimes have a head and a tailwind, hot time of day, cool time of day, again, fueling and training load coming into it and so forth. But you want as much of a controlled environment for that as possible. That's why some of your indoor trainer rides and treadmill runs might be good ways to gauge fitness because there, now you can set temperature. You can set you know, the environment very specifically and watch 
either at a set wattage or a set running pace that your heart rate is coming down or going up if with regards to freshness or with regards to fatigue or with regards to fitness. Or on a trainer, of course, the same thing, wattages and power or resistance settings are going up at the same heart rate and so forth. So keep that in mind with regards to measuring your desired power on the bike for any type of training. So I think that answers most of that question. I hope that helps. All right. So I think our final question this week um, is talking about where our fitness is after some downtime with regards to injury. Hey, Chris, I'm taking you up on your offer to write in with a question. Thanks for taking the time to get back to me on my last email. I was at a real low point and hearing from you totally gave me a boost. On a side note, I sure hope that all of this with the Weekly Word podcast also has this effect. And that makes me really happy to read that some of the words that I can share and the thoughts I can share and how I look to help you all balance your life with regards to endurance and family and career and training and community and so forth um, is having any, any impact, even the tiniest impact that means a lot to me. Back to the question, short of it, broke my femur seven weeks ago. I'm progressing quickly due to the fact that I'm 28. Huh, yes, and was pretty fit before being hit by that car. I'm glad you are safe and recovering now from that. It's quite a traumatic experience. I had an FTP of over three of 320, 320 watts at 164 pounds, 65 pounds. I'm six foot four. Well, you're quite lean. <clears throat> Resting heart rate in the low 50s, high 40s, and a zone two engine that really purred. Well, We'll, we'll know more about that zone two engine if we actually had a chance to put it to the test. I started riding again and I'm finding that despite my leg power imbalance, working on that MPT, I can put out my old zone two power into the pedals and feel good. The thing I look down at my heart rate and it is 20 to 30 beats higher than I'm used to seeing for the wattage. How do I start seeing those low heart rate numbers along with what was my zone two power? I have to ride at 100 to 130 watts in the middle of my old zone two range, 117 to 122. That's the power I put into recovery rides. And another variable is the heat. It's been 90 here on the coast of Massachusetts. We dog days of summer. Um, riding was essentially a cold weather sport before this. Anyways, I'm glad to be on the bike. I'm trying to do the right amount of work. I realize that my body's still recovering from significant trauma. Any help, reassurance, or advice would be appreciated. I want my aerobic energy system back. Well, in this case, Eric, um, it's going to take a different approach and one that you know deep down inside is the approach, and that is taking those FDP numbers and your old wattage numbers and throwing them out the door. Because of your broken femur and because of the rest you had to take, your aerobic energy system and your engine is gone. That has been dismantled. Imagine that the engine was taken out of your car, hood up, 
little crane came over, took that engine out, spread it out on a big white sheet in your perfectly manicured garage, and take that engine and put it into about 600 pieces onto that white huge sheet in front of you. That's where your engine is right now. That's your aerobic engine. Doesn't mean it can't be rebuilt and put back into the car and that hood can be closed and you will have the same torque and horsepower and ability as before. But when you're trying to hold on to old numbers, you're basically putting that engine together with pieces and rushing it and trying to fit it back into that, um, into that car and really, really embrace the fact that you have to put meticulously each piece of that engine, those 600 pieces back together again, slowly. Now in the right way, that engine can be stronger, longer lasting, cleaner burning once you have it all back assembled and back under the hood of that car. So it is an opportunity and a positive one to come back stronger and better. You can work on a variety of different things besides that aerobic engine, as well as cadence and posture and pedal stroke, all that to make you a better cyclist on the back end of this. But I would let go of those numbers and really be diligent about bringing the body back from scratch. A great thing to do in Massachusetts, of course, would be to do some testing, lactate threshold testing, so that you actually have the ability to know your numbers and most effective way to train based off of you currently, not you formerly, um, to speed up the process of rebuilding yourself. Now, those numbers might be frustrating, and those numbers might be at a lower wattages and heart rate even that you've seen before. But again, that is what it is. And we need to rebuild and start that journey to being a stronger, cleaner burning, um, better running engine with step one of this. And that is rebuilding a foundation and platform that you can spring from with regards to fitness. Um, it's hard. You want your aerobic energy system back, but I would start from scratch. And the quicker you embrace that, the quicker you will return to your old fitness and probably push beyond because any failure is also success. There's two outcomes. We learn from failure and we learn from success, but we learn more from failure. So failure and success are both successes. And by having tried to do it this way on trying to hold on to old numbers, you know that way doesn't work, doesn't feel right. Inside, you already know the answer with regards to how to get to the next level of success. So now let's turn this um, detour into a success. And that is getting you back to stronger and better and smarter than you were before the accident. Turning that accident into a positive. You learn things about your body, about your abilities, about your engine, how to rebuild it, how to become a better cyclist from it. And with that, throw everything you knew out the window and rebuild it stronger, better, smarter. I guarantee you that outcome can happen, especially at your age and um, your height, your leverage and so forth. You, you have a lot of potential there in front of you. So good luck with that. And um, 
I'm glad you're looking to get back on your bike and looking to get fit again and looking to just put this episode, this chapter of detour behind you and achieve new ultra endurance goals that I hope will really propel you into the direction and the growth that you want with regards to your fitness. So thanks for sending me the question. Mindset. I talk a lot about mindset on the podcast and I'm a huge believer in mindset. I believe, as we've talked about many times, that being an athlete is about mindset, not your talent, not your physical appearance, not your experience in sport. Being an athlete is a mindset. And so today I thought, you know what? I talk so much about a mindset. I should probably talk a little bit about how to put some of those things into practice. Um, how to um, apply some of mindset's approaches and thoughts and action items into your everyday training. And when we think about improving our mindset, typically our attention, and rightfully so, goes to mental training. We close our eyes and do bouts of imagery, picturing ourselves on a beautiful bike ride with strong legs, a great run bouncing and bounding through beautiful countryside, or an awesome swim in a pool or a lake or the ocean where we're just really connected. We sit down with our goals and create a detailed battle plan that will take us step by step to that awesome sensation or that finish line or that um, desired outcome at the end of our season or as we look to take on that ultra endurance adventure. Or we write down, we sit down and write down a series of phrases that we're gonna use in our training to keep ourselves on point with our motivation and focus. All these things are part of mindset. And while our mindset can seem like a standalone thing, it's influenced heavily by a number of different things that you actually have daily control over that. Probably a lot more than you realize. And so that's why I wanted to give you some actionable items with regards to mindset that I always talk about that will influence your mindset and affect your training, not only today, but over months and so forth. And notice here that none of these require any type of elite status as athlete, that you have a certain amount of talent or ability or experience in the training. All these action items, all these things that you can be doing daily in prep for your workout, in prep for your event, in prep to have the best possible outcome today, to have the best possible today, is available to you, whether you're a com first time complete beginner or you're a super experienced elite athlete. And as I've talked about many times before too, it's oftentimes the super experienced elite athletes that overlook these details that could have a huge effect on their training, on their performance, on their outcomes, on their positive mindset with regards to how they're progressing, on their daily outlook, on their training. Because keep in mind, it's the elite athletes, those that train a lot of hours, that are also affected in mood so much by if their training's progressing or how their day went with regards to training. 
if training goes bad, the athlete, oftentimes that elite athlete, oftentimes has a bad day and is frustrated. And so again, with the proper mindset, with the proper outlook, with the proper prep and perspective, you can continue to grow as an athlete, no matter who you are or how talented or experienced you are. Most of you are familiar with the first way we can specifically affect our mindset, and that is to go into a workout with a plan. Athletes who go into a workout with a plan or a goal for the training session, their mindset is determinedly better. How do we know this? Because they have purpose in their training. They have deliberate, desirable, actionable outcomes. They have a why. The athlete who reacts is hoping to sort of look for and just doing a workout, just getting through it, just doing the exercise, as in doing the discipline that they're doing, swim, bike, run, row, climb, hike, whatever that is. They're basing their workout on how the workout will come to them. And I know I talk a lot about um, at times we have to allow the workout to come to us, but we're still, we still have a plan for that workout to execute. And if you have a plan to execute that workout, you will have a much better mindset with regards to your training session versus just reacting to what the training session gives you, dictates to you. Um, and so planning versus reacting is a huge aspect of how you're going to have a positive mindset with regards to training. Knowing what you can do, what you should do, and decide the things that you're going to work on that day, regardless of um, how you feel or how the weather is or what you're observing, is a key component to having a good, positive mindset towards the workout. Today, I want to work on my pedal stroke. I want to keep my cadence high. That has nothing to do with the wind or the weather or the temperatures. I'm going to stay in the small chain ring and keep my cadence high. I'm going to sweep my foot on my pedal stroke. I'm going to stay really relaxed in the arrow position. I'm going to work on the trainer on this. In the pool, I'm going to focus on reach and depth of stroke. I'm going to focus on my breathing pattern or alternate side breathing. All these are specific outcomes that you can be successful with that day. And your deliberate outcome of that workout will be successfully achieved. And that feels good. On the run, you can think about posture and form and fundamentals and footwork and bounce and foot landing and lean and shoulders relax and head placement and where you're looking on the road ahead of you. All those things. Committing to good, clean fundamentals, for example, is a great way to improve your mindset. There are two huge benefits to this. You will A, become a much better athlete that is technically more sound and therefore continue to program better performance down the road because as you get better at those fundamentals and that technically sound um, posture and form, you're only going to get it better and better and may do more complicated technically sound pieces and fundamentals and be able to do it more fatigued and so forth. We both we both. We all know the benefit there. But you're also going to enjoy your practices more, your training more. Seriously. Because focusing on the tax at hand, 
task at hand makes it a lot more enjoyable. You are executing and completing something. You're checking a successful box. You feel accomplished that you did this right today. You executed it correctly. You might not have hit the wattages we're looking for. You might not have hit the distances you're looking for. You might not have hit the heart rates high or low that you're looking for. But you had some specific, detailed, technical, and fundamental outcomes that you were able to hit. And you know you're a better athlete today than yesterday because of that. You had a plan versus just reacting. Another huge aspect with regards to mindset, and it's one of the simplest ways we can get mentally tougher, is sleep. Straightforward, simple plan like that. Sleep. More time sleeping means that you are fully rested, recovering better, better, and your cognitive function is higher. While we can maintain great fitness, peak physical fitness, and endurance after maybe two or three nights or even up to four nights of bad sleep. Um, I just was reading a study a couple days ago that even after four nights of four hours of sleep a night, athletes were still able to manage the same physical outcome performance as before with plenty of sleep. But our mood and perceived effort fall apart after just one night of bad sleep. So it's harder to motivate ourselves to put forth that high performance, despite it being in us after a couple of days of bad sleep. And overall, we're just in a bad mood, unmotivated, crabby, the whole thing. You already know most of this. It's harder to get up and give it your best when you're sleep deprived. It's harder to summon that mental strength to chase your best possible outcome. Sure, you might be getting those things after a, getting into it after a while in the workout, right? Once you sort of get going and the blood is flowing, you're, you're able to get your training done. But the initial resistance to having a good workout is real and totally not necessary. So again, this is about mindset. And we're, if we're already more motivated and positive and prepared for the outcome, for what we want to work on, it's going to be a more effective workout. If you're serious about developing a high performance mindset, there's no getting around giving your brain and the body the rest it deserves. All the visualization, self-talk, and motivation techniques in the world can't help you if you are not consistently getting good sleep. Now we all know about sleep. And that's no secret. I know it's harder to execute than it sounds because we all live busy lives. But here's something you can execute very easily on. And it's easily, easier to execute than any type of sleep deprivation and so forth. I keep telling my athletes all the time, and you read it all and you hear it all everywhere. Stay hydrated. Always have a water bottle around you. Know what type of electrolytes you need. And what's important here is a water bottle is easy to keep around you. Keep it in your car. Keep it at your desk. Keep it in your bag that you're bringing to your workout. 
keep it at your, in your locker, all those things. Being properly hydrated helps speed up recovery and improve overall important, importance and performance. And because you're recovered and your improvement in the performance is visually and you can feel it, you're going to have a better mindset going into the next workout or feel good about your training. Being properly hydrated, whether you are at rest or while you're ex exercising, is crucial to that mindset. Why is having water around you at all times so important to our mindset with regards to our training and our abilities? Well, we know what it does for the body, right? And keeping us hydrated. And we've talked about that before. And we know how important it is with regards to recovery. But think of it this way too. When you have that water bottle around you, you're already in a positive mindset because you're thinking about the next workout. You're thinking about your own personal performance. You're thinking about staying hydrated. You already feel better and like more of an athlete because you're thinking of the things that you need to think. And that has a positive downstream effect. Taking those sips off the water bottle helps you not only physically, but also mentally become more of the athlete you want to be. And also with regards to dehydration, keep in mind, exercise feels harder and your ability to stay focused is way lower when you're dehydrated versus hydrated. It just feels harder. And then think of the workouts you've had where you are hydrated and you go, wow, things are flowing well for lack of a better term. <laughs> Sorry for that pun. But when you're hydrated, you just feel that your body is what I would say, um, greased for performance better. Your muscles, your ligaments, your cartilage, just all feels in better sync. I know many of you have noticed this when you're properly topped off and hydrated. It seems like the machine is well oiled and greased. And there's so many side effects to dehydration with your alertness, your working memory, the feeling of fatigue, all those things. But overall, again, in a mindset standpoint and something easy that anybody can do, having your water bottle around you already says, I care, I pay attention, I have an athlete's mindset. Another great way to improve mindset is thinking about how yesterday's practice went. Ever notice how one session, one workout, one training outcome helps lead into another? Good training sessions, good workouts, build upon each other. When we have a good session, our confidence goes, confidence goes up and our self-belief increases and we are better to prepare and face future challenge, future challenges. What that means is when adversity comes and things get difficult because we just recently had a good session or five or 10, we can quickly deal with that bad outcome or those signals that something is harder or not going as planned or as desired and confidently know well, just a few hours ago or just a day or two ago, 
I did those numbers. I ran those paces. I swam those efforts. And so it's not that far from me. I can do this. Beyond simply feeling good about ourselves, we are, when we are winning, winning the workout, we literally have an adrenal response. Winning and feeling good about ourselves changes our biology over time, making it more likely that we're going to want to and be able to and mimic that feeling in the future. Unfortunately, the same thing happens if we're constantly failing. We become adapted to expect failure. We saw it didn't work yesterday and therefore it won't work today. We lose our aggressiveness. We become less likely to take chances in training, to try harder, to find it, to be patient with ourselves, to listen to our body and do something so that we can break out of that rut. So positive experiences build upon positive experiences. No matter how today's workout goes, make sure that you walk out of that session having done something where you did it right, achieved something that you had set forth to do. And that brings us back to the first point where we were saying working on fundamentals, little things that you can control that you know at least I did that. At least I'm growing upon that. At least that's positive. And I will be better for today than yesterday. And I will do it again tomorrow to be stronger and better prepared. And I'm not talking about lame little things in a workout. I'm talking choosing a few things in your workout that you know that you did your best at. And it's a positive outcome. Another easy way to work on a positive, effective mindset, an athlete's mindset when it comes to your training, and your desired outcomes with regards to events is keeping in mind how stressed you are. Work assignments are piling up. Your to-do list is two pages long, double-sided. Oh, and then there's the physical and mental stress of spending two to five to six hours out on your bike or on trails or in the pool or in the strength room or so forth. It's as though the workouts also become a stress point then too. And as we've talked about, when you're stressed in one area and feel guilty about doing something else in another area, your outcomes are not nearly as good as we want them to be, right? You're only putting forth a B or a C plus effort in many things versus an A effort in a few things. The relationship we have with stress is a complicated one. Mild stress, training stress, and dealing with it helps prepare us so that we can deal with greater stress demands in the future. That's what training is. Stress plus rest equals performing, performance gains, gains, right? Those stresses are a way of stress-proofing ourselves, stress-proofing ourselves for harder training and, of course, those bigger challenges of competition, the event or the overall adventure you're on. But chronic stress, the unending and consistent kind, doesn't help us at all. It affects that stress plus rest aspect, right? That equation. It messes with our decision-making. It builds anxiety, anxiety, and overall can just turn us into a miserable person. And not miserable by being Debbie Downer, but more about being 
short-tempered or having the wrong mindset or perspective. The way it affects our mindset is particularly obvious. When's the last time you saw someone smiling when they said, I'm so stressed? No, it's already built up inside them. Managing stress is a valuable skill. The ability to compartmentalize the stress we are feeling, not bringing drama from your personal life into workouts or into your allotted personal self-care workout time. And also ridding ourselves of the powerful effects of stress on the mental approach you bring to every workout. Compartmentalizing is huge for that. And it's part of the mindset. Knowing that you have this time set aside for your workout, for your training, for your self-care, for your listening to the body, for your overall health and well-being and also sanity is key. And being able to put life stresses, work stresses, family stresses, community stresses, financial stresses, any stresses aside for that window of time is very important. That's part of being an athlete and the athlete mindset. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes, not oftentimes, I'm willing to guarantee almost every time afterwards, you're able to think clear, you have a more creative process to dealing with those stresses. A lot of the stresses might have disappeared or lowered their level of stress upon you because you have a different perspective. You got to exercise, you got to focus on yourself a little bit, and now you're better prepared for life's daily stresses. And there's a lot going on from a physiology standpoint, and of course, as we're saying, from a mindset standpoint, but understanding that stress is going to be there, but your self-care time only makes your skin thicker and stronger for it is huge. And that's part of great mindset. The other thing to keep in mind, and I've noticed this in my own life with regards to stress. If I'm able to compartmentalize stress better when my training begins or my workouts require it, when I also at other times need to turn off the stress or clear my mind or think of different things, I'm able to because I'm able to compartmentalize. I'm not saying there is no stress. I have stress. We all have stress. We all have things that overload us. It's life. (laughs) Whether kids or family or work or career or finances or church or society or group or political turmoil, all that stuff, it creates stress for sure. But compartmentalizing also helps me when at night I'm trying to fall asleep because I want my eight to nine hours of sleep. And I start thinking about my day and I start thinking about my responsibilities and some of the workload tomorrow and the things I need to do. Guess what? Then the stress starts accumulating. The heart rate rises and you start getting agitated or thinking and not being able to fall asleep. So now you're having a double whammy effect on your mindset and your outcomes and your abilities, right? So therefore, your ability to compartmentalize and say, I'm going to shut my brain down. I'm going to deal with this tomorrow, first thing in the morning. I'm going to be able to deal with life stresses better with that sleep.
And that takes practice. Don't get me wrong. It takes a lot of practice to learn how to compartmentalize. But training is a great opportunity to do that because at night when we're sleeping, we don't have other things to focus on. But when you're training, when you're out training, it gives you a window to sort of focus on your footwork and your heart rate and your breathing. And ever so gradually, things start clearing up. And the mind frees itself and the breathing relaxes and the shoulders and the stress comes off of you and relaxes. And 20, 30, 40 minutes into your workout, you realize, ah, oh, there I am. There's me. Good to see you again because, man, earlier today I was stressed or I was bothered by things or my anxiety levels were high. And again, I'm not saying that they will go away. I'm just saying you're better able to deal with them and think through them clearly and maybe more detached with a better um, process after your training, after your ability to compartmentalize. And finally, the last thing with regards to mindset, and one of my favorites and one that you have all heard me preach plenty about on this podcast is how well you take care of yourself between workouts, between training sessions, whether that's morning and evening, whether that's morning and midday, whether that's night to morning. It's On the one hand, it's recovery time, but on the other hand, it's also being an athlete time. Let me give you the example of, let's say, a swimmer. Um, a swimmer with regards to being a triathlete or just a swimmer in a pool, uh, as in a pool swimmer. Uh, you know, a swimmer swimmer. They show up on time. They help set up the workout, set up the pool. They're the first ones in the water doing the full warm-up. They do all the details in and out of turns and all the little drills perfectly. They push themselves hard in the workout. They execute everything as desired by a coach. They do everything as desired, being with the warm-down and done and even We'll do some extra stretching prior and ask the right questions. We also can say the same thing for a cycling workout. Um, for my indoor cycling classes, I see this all the time. They come in early. They warm up well. They have their water bottles ready. They have their nutrition ready. They have their phones turned off. They have the proper mindset ready to crush this 90-minute class. And sometimes they'll even warm down extra and do some one-legged drills and work on their posture after the workout or do some high cadence easy stuff in order to clean up their pedal stroke after a hard 90-minute indoor cycling session. But then something weird happens. The moment they walk out of the cycling class, out of the pool, walk off the track, or finish their long run, it's like a switch is flipped. Gone is the attention to detail. Gone is focus on doing it better. Whether it's their diet, it's their lack of sleep, it's their inability to manage stress. Our awesome athlete who's just doing the best training session all of a sudden is a completely different person. It's like they're part-time elite athletes because everything they're doing in the session is great, but in between sessions... They're basically chipping. They're basically chipping away on all the improvement they made in the session, in the workout. By the end of the day, all their process gains, all their progression, 
all their training gains are gone because they ate bad, they took bad care of their body, or they didn't sleep the night properly, or all the little details. And this is another thing of guards to mindset that I always talk about, right? It's not about how elite you are. It's how you take care of yourself as an athlete. And anybody can do this. Any beginner, any first 5K-er, any first master swim workout, any first sprint distance triathlon, any half marathon tri um, trail runner, anybody can have the proper mindset of thinking about taking care of themselves between workouts. Now, I'm not saying you need to live this life of an obsessed 24-hour athlete. We all know what those people are like, and that goes against everything I say on the podcast with regards to balance. And, you know, knowing that when the workout is over, you need to pay attention to the things around you and your surroundings and your other responsibilities and so forth, of course. And I'm not recommending that every last thing you do in life should be in the lens of how it's going to affect your next workout. No, that would be awful. There does have to be balance, but you at least need to be realistic about your expectations for your training when lined up against how you're spending your time between those practices, right? You can't expect tomorrow morning's workout to be as good as this evening's if you got five to six hours of sleep, if you ate like crap, if you're living on the road and or not living on the road, let's say you're traveling and yeah, you ate the crappy Applebee's instead of thinking about something smarter to eat to fuel your body so that it can have the optimal training outcome tomorrow, right? And that's, that's just all part of the process that we all have control over. All these points that I've made with regards to mindset is something we, we as athletes have full control over. You can't expect epic results or growth in your progression of endurance and ultra endurance when you treat your body like a five alarm dumpster fire between workouts. Excuse my language, but for many athletes between their workouts, it's a shit show. Soda, chips, pop tarts, snacks at work, junk. And then they wonder why they're not progressing, right? And from a nutrition standpoint, we all have different needs. So therefore, even in that window that you're heading out between workouts, you might have needs, whether you're a vegan or plant-based athlete, making sure that you're getting the proper nutrients in that you usually would get in other forms of food. Yes, it takes extra thinking, extra prep, extra thought process. That's fine. But again, you can't treat your body like a five-alarm dumpster fire in between and expect growth. It requires a lot of prep and thinking ahead again. And if as working athletes, right, we all have a job or family or things to do in between our workouts. Yes, and it's hard work. That's part of the whole hard work with regards to sacrifice, with regards to how our goals feeling so good when we achieve them right? Or feeling so healthy and alive when we're doing it because we're doing it all. That's the fun. So to close this out with regards to mindset, keep in mind, there's more to this than just wanting it. 
in regards to layering upon layering upon layering of good quality, deliberate workouts. Remember, deliberate training is what progresses you, not just going through the motions. And it's not always the athlete who is necessarily the most motivated, but the athlete who makes it easier on themselves by creating situations frequently where a positive and tough mindset is happening or applied. Those are the athletes that flourish, right? You're creating a situation where you're constantly applying a positive and tough mindset. You're making it easier on yourself to overcome the diversity of future training, of current training, in order to continue growing that layer upon layer upon layer. So keep in mind, this is what mindset is. This is how you put that plan to action. This are some actionable items or this. These are some actionable items on how you can apply mindset every day. Remember, go to the workout with a plan. What do you want to focus on today and how will you execute it? Stay hydrated. Remember, that water bottle is part of showing I'm taking this serious. I'm an athlete. Sleep lots. Sleep is oh so important. We all now know that. It's the best performance enhancer out there, bar none. Nothing holds a candle to it for both mental and physical recovery and performance. Flush the bad workouts. Bad ones happen, but make your goal bouncing back as quickly as possible. Learn from them. Remember, layer upon layer of good workouts. Stay on top of your stress, right? Keep that compartmentalizing going. Even things like expressing gratitude and a journal will help you with that. And finally, take care of yourself between practices, right? Don't expect elite results. Don't expect to be an athlete if you treat your body like garbage. That should help you really move forward with regards to mindset. You're an athlete. You all are. You all can be athletes. It's all about your mindset. All right. I know this is a long podcast, but I missed two weeks. And I wanted to go over that mindset piece, um, importantly, because I talk a lot about it on the Ritual podcast that I did a few weeks ago with him and that got published, I think it was yesterday. And so in general, I thought it was important to add that deeper component slash sermon <laughs> that I like to always call it um, to this week's Weekly Word podcast. I have a few more questions and inputs with regards to emails, but I also wanted to take a moment to give you all an update with regards to my training and some of the insights I've been observing. One of the things I've been working a lot on lately with regards to bringing back my fitness of especially cycling is our ability to manipulate everything via cadence. Now, my athletes know that I like the small chain ring with regards to my training and a lot of the training I prescribe for a lot of my athletes. As any athlete around me over the last six, eight weeks can tell you, and many of you over the years know, especially on the coast ride and things like that, I primarily ride in the small chain ring. Even the last six weeks, getting ready for Ironman Whistler in a few weeks, I have not been in the big chain ring. 
I was in Boulder last week, even there descending on some of the bigger passes and climbs from those climbs, small chain ring. Today, back in Marin, and these last few rides here in Marin, even recovery rides, all small chain ring. Why do I do this? Well, I can usually get my power from doing the work in the small chain ring. Um, and then for any type of hills or climbs, I slow the cadence down and go more muscularly. But I keep a strong contrast between higher cadence, 80s or above, and lower cadence, 40s and 50s, and climbing, let's say, steady at 60s. One of the things I like to do a lot is sort of say, all right, for this incline, for this 10-minute climb, for this 7-minute climb, 5-minute climb, 12-minute climb, I'm going to keep it at 60s cadence. Let's say in a challenging gear, but nothing too easy, nothing too hard, so that I can realistically maintain 60s cadence throughout the climb. Now, there'll be pitch changes of 7%, then maybe 10%, then maybe 3%, then maybe 5%. And each one of those pitch changes will therefore yield a different wattage. But I'll keep a steady 60s cadence and we'll jump the wattages or ease up on the wattages, but it'll create different stimuluses through that climb. My ability to stay in control with regards to the small train ring requires a good balance between cadence and pedal pressure. I want to stay in control of that. Of course, I can mash a big gear in the big chain ring and produce big watts. But that's not the skill. The skill is creating and, and um, putting forth big watts at the higher cadences. I can always shift to a harder gear and push more muscularly. But I'd rather be able to spin good power. And then when I'm fresh and less fatigued and more explosive and reactive with regards to my fitness because I'm fresh, it'll be way easier now to spin at that cadence, higher cadence in the big ring. And now I'm in my 54-14 gearing or 54-15 gearing pushing 80s cadence. And it feels natural with regards to cardio and muscularly, they're in sync. And spinning 80s in the 54, 12, 13, or 14 is going to net you very solid watts based off my weight and my leverage and my height. I'm a huge proponent of learning your cycling skills and your aerobic capacity and your endurance capacity in the small chain ring. It provides you with a lot of opportunity to become a better cyclist. So that's a lot of what I've been doing over the last six weeks. Now I can feel it's time to test again. And I know you might say, well, didn't he just test? I've ridden about 1,200 miles since my test, and it's time. I can feel it. I can feel that I've put my 1,000 to 1,200 miles in at zone two. Um, I wouldn't say all of them were at zone two. I would say 80%, 85% even, maybe even 90% in this buildup were at zone two. So I would say of the 1,200 miles I've done in the last six-ish weeks, I probably have done 900 to 1,000 at zone two, spinning away, small ring, chain ring, small ring, <laughs> low watt zone two. And I can see that it's working because my wattage numbers have come up, my heart rate has stayed low, and my gearing and my small chain ring is the same. 
all things being equal, same ride, same loop, so forth, I am seeing higher wattages. Nothing dramatic, nothing back to the glory days, but it's an improvement. It's fitness gains, and I know that. And we have the same ability with regards to running. Running, I'm more focused on posture, form, and footwork, right? I did my work over the winter with strength and trails and ups and downs. I don't need that right now. I need form, posture, and footwork. And once I've aligned my form, posture, and footwork on my running, let's say in the two, three miles of warm-up, on reconnecting with form, posture, and footwork, then I gradually increase my cadence running. And as I maintain form, posture, and footwork, and the cadence increases, that's then where the speed increases happen and the fitness gains happen. Because at the end of the day, we want to be able to run our distances in races, whether in a triathlon or a marathon. In um, ultra running, it's a little bit different due to the dirt and terrain and routes and climbs and so forth to maintain the same focus on posture, form, and um, footwork. But when you're running on pavement, as you get fatigued, especially with regards to a triathlon, the further you're into your day, if you can remain focused on form, footwork, and posture, you will have a successful run. And all you will be doing is increasing your cadence with regards to speed and decreasing your cadence as you get fatigued. But you want to keep the content of posture, form, and footwork. And so that recalibration is the important part there. I always can fall back onto my form, posture, and footwork. I have form, posture and um, yeah, footwork, sorry, right? So as I'm getting tired, oh, you know what? I'm gonna take this mile or this half mile or the next three minutes and reset and then gradually wind up my foot speed again, my cadence. And the, in training, my goal is to further extend the time that I'm at the good form, posture and footwork, but also be able to manipulate that and reset it multiple times as well as as hold as long as possible off the bike and be able to dictate how i'm running my speeds based off of form posture and footwork in combination with that cadence so keep that in mind try that this week as many of you are out running set up your form posture and footwork first your bounce your stride your heel kick your landing, your angle of your chest with regards to your hips, how your foot is landing, and so forth. Set all that up. Not worried about speed or pace at all yet. And then once you've found that and are holding it and are connected to it, increase your leg speed. Increase your leg turnover a bit. And notice if your posture and form and footwork fall off, well, then we have more to work on Then you might want to just stay as much time as possible in that space of working on the fundamentals. Or if you can run five, six, seven, eight, ten, thirty 10, 30 minutes at that higher cadence with that good posture and form and footwork, you're going to see some great numbers and have a great aha moment. Stick to that. So I hope that helps. I often get the question of adding more training. And this is a quick one. What I always say to that is, of course, if you want to add more time at zone two, that's great. 
again, if it's good form and posture and footwork and cadence and all that and swimming, cycling and running, you can add more time. But what I've found is most athletes, not most, many athletes are not able to execute and complete the week of training that I write as is. And so adding time on days where it might work out well occasionally is fine. But in overall, we want to think about being able to execute the week as it's written. And as I said earlier, it's the time between workouts where you're taking care of yourself and prepping yourself and thinking about the next workout that might be more valuable than just extending the current zone two time. Now, how does that look? That looks like that, okay, I'm getting other work done or I'm spending time with my family or I'm going to the soccer game or I'm this instead of extending extra time. Don't tax the other legs of the stool, right? Might be better to just successfully do today's workout, do it right, check the box, feel good about that and come back tomorrow and do that one well. Do that one to check the box just as successfully, right? Take care of yourself and your life and your responsibilities and your stressors between workouts so that the next workout can then be more effective. And if we're constantly falling short of the workouts written, you definitely don't want to add. And if we're constantly finding that we have more time, well, then it's up to me, the coach, to write the training to maximize your time better. For me, the most important thing that I say to so many ultra endurance athletes is I'm here to maximize your limited training time. Most of you don't have unlimited training time. And so therefore, we want to maximize the limited training time you have. And so if you're adding stuff or finding time for stuff, do we need to adjust the schedule or are we taxing other parts of the three-legged stool that will then come back to haunt us and we won't have that consistent layer upon layer build that we want anyway. I'm going to um, go off sort of my knowledge base and go more opinion based on this next one, but um, it's a good question and I think it'd be worth um, discussing for a moment here. Um, I was It's from a listener. Um, and I know this person as well. So um, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. He had Dorian Yates on talking training and drugs, etc. I was very interested in his take on muscle memory and the fact that if you'd built it over many years and had a break of several years, it would only take about 12, 10 to 12 months to recover back from it. Be good to get your take on it coming from a different angle, from an endurance background rather than from a bodybuilding background. Now... <laughs> I like this question, and the reason I like this question is because it brings us back to what we were just talking about. It doesn't need to be a long answer here. If your fundamentals were good prior and you had built up a huge aerobic platform, let's say in the endurance aspect of this question, and you had good form, posture, footwork, you had great cycling, form, cadence, ability, strength, fiber connections, fiber meaning muscle fiber, cartilage, and so forth, good fit. You sat on a bike well. You were super aerobically efficient and economical in doing it. If you were a clean runner, a bouncy runner, an efficient runner, great form, posture, and footwork, if you were a good swimmer, technically sound, had good efficiency in the water, good distance per stroke, and so forth, you see where I'm going with this. If that's what we're coming from, 
Yes, you can take time off and you will quickly rebuild to it to maybe even a, a more advanced level of ability fitness because the rest, as well as your maturity, as well as smarter training, as well as better nutrition, a lot of things can be improved upon. But we all have come across those athletes who used to be sports-specific athletes earlier in life, whether teenage or college, and they quickly connect to faster outcomes, right? The college swimmer can take 15 years off of swimming when they jump back in the pool. A couple months, they're back to swimming very good because they have the fundamentals and technique in place. The cross-country runner from high school or college when they start running again consistently deliberately with a specific training outcome can quickly have those improvements and those gains and be better than they ever were before with regards to an endurance athlete because they're training their engine differently than cross country but again the point here is fundamentals the former crit or cat one cyclist or crit racer, or mountain biker at a high level, at a national level, or even a D1 college level, is going to quickly settle in on the bike after many, many years of not doing the activity because they know how it feels. They know their pedal stroke. They know what they should be observing. They can remember how their body should react to it. And the same thing that Dorian Yates would be talking about on Joe Rogan's podcast. It's not a question of, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think it's only muscle memory and the fact that you've built it over many years that will put you at an advantage. It's also that you in your mind and your subconscious have remembered how it should feel, what the range of motion should be. Even in a bodybuilding standpoint, your mind remembers how it works and where it was feeling best and where it had the most success. So from an adrenal dopamine release and the way our bodies condition and habit building and connections and so forth and neurons and how everything in the brain is firing when positive experiences are happening, you can take many years off and it will quickly settle back into what it knows best and that was the positive experiences of feeling good on the bike. When you're just settled in and you're relaxed on posture on your bike and your handlebars and you're just whizzing down the road with great power and cadence, the body will settle back into that because it remembers it. It'll want to reconnect to that. It'll want to draw a line to that is where I want to feel again and where I am now and will start working its way along that line in regards to training. And with the coaching, the athlete will communicate those insights and that feedback that you're slowly getting back to what it feels like, what it felt like many years ago. Whether that's a swimmer, biker, runner, rower, um, sailor, um, anything that you're a specialist in, if you felt it, I don't know if it's been in flow or whatever you want to call it. If you felt it and it felt good and you had success on it, it creates a very powerful memory and you will soon be able to rebuild that fitness. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have a very strong opinion with regard to that, as you can hear. Do I have exercise science to back that up? No, but I've uh, been around this long enough and plenty of athletes long enough and plenty of, plenty of former professional athletes in many different realms with regards to whether NBA basketball players, they never lose their shot. 
they never lose their shot. Once they have their shot, they can take 10 years off. You put them in the gym with a couple thousand balls on a rack, they will repeat their shot and start hitting it better than any athlete that learned their shot later on in life and tries to play like that. No, it's just muscle memory. It's ingrained in our connections and in our brain and how it should fire, right? Uh, so anyway, I can give you a hundred examples, but I don't want to go on too long. Hope that answers it. Alrighty, well, that's it. That's episode 75, a long one. I haven't rec rec recorded a long one like this of just me talking in quite some time. So I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to jump into plan the training plan mindset with regards to the training plan and not and different from this week but more why you're doing what you're doing and um, I've already compiled a good amount of discussion around that I look forward to talking to all of you next week have a great week of training it's summer I hope you all are having some great results and outcome at many of the races and events and adventures that so many of you doing are doing and maybe next week i'll also give an update on many of the adventures and events and races that my athletes have been doing over the last few weeks it's been it's been a quite a busy and fun summer and from that um, i should have some time to talk about that next week and in general um if anybody is around um, I will be in um, Washington, D.C. the week of July 15th to the 22nd um, for some running workouts and some visits there, also with friends. But then I'll also be in Vail and Boulder in mid-August. I'm going to be in Snow Basin, Utah at the end of August. And then I head over to Sweden for Attilo. Um, so in all those places, I have athletes um, that are going to come visit. Um, and I look forward to meeting all of you and seeing all of you there. And uh, yeah, continuing to get a variety of inputs and meeting opportunities with so many of you that um, share some in incredible stories about how you train and the adventures you've chosen and how your ultra endurance fitness and lifestyle has helped you, you know, glow like I've talked about. All right. Have a great week, everybody. And thank you so much, as always, for listening.